0: No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today.
1: Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. Douglas is the author of Navigating the Messy Middle, a fiercely honest and wildly encouraging guide for midlife women. Anne is an award-winning writer and best-selling author. She is the creator of the Mother of All book series, which has sold over half a million copies in North America to date. For decades, Anne was Canada's most trusted writer on all things parenting. And she could often be heard across Canada speaking about just that on CBC Radio. She is the author of 26 nonfiction books and a passionate and inspiring speaker who delivers keynote addresses and leads small group workshops at conferences and online events. I actually had the good fortune of attending one of Anne's workshops at a conference several years ago. Anne and her husband, Neil, live in rural Ontario, where she is hard at work on her first novel. For this book, Anne interviewed over 100 midlife women from diverse backgrounds and identities, including me. Some of the topics include career pivots, health concerns, building community, child rearing, marriage, and divorce. She also interviewed subject matter experts and reviewed over a thousand articles about women in midlife millions of women grapple with midlife challenges faced with a popular culture that tells us our best before date has long expired. Anne brings us together in this book in hope and encouragement. Why did you write this book and why now?
0: Right. Well, you know, talk about sort of like midlife pivots and and so on, right? My whole career had been about writing about parenting. And my whole life had been focused on raising children. And then who knew those people grow up and they move away from home. And um, I started to feel more and more removed from parenting culture. And I think there's a moment you have to realize that you just don't have that in the trenches perspective anymore. So I started to think like, you know, wow, now I'm having an identity crisis. What will I do with the rest of my life? And I thought, I am fascinated by this life stage. Like I love the fact that at this point in your life, you have so much lived experience, and you're figuring out who you are, and you're getting to a place of self acceptance. And you're also thinking about the future, like what do I want for myself moving forward? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? And I thought, boy, I bet a lot of other people are having all those kind of questions and conversations in their own head at the same time. So my agent sort of said to me, have you ever thought about writing a book about sort of midlife? Because she was feeling very midlifey one day, I think. (laughs) And so we put together a book proposal and shopped it around. And I feel like it landed at the perfect place to, uh, to really embrace the idea and run with it.
1: You interviewed over 100 women, for the book and from all over and in all different walks of life, all different circumstances. Why did you do that?
0: Well, I thought it would be really boring to a write a book just about myself at midlife, like how thrilling for people (laughs) and Douglas's guide to midlife. That would have been the most boring book ever published. And even if I just took it like one baby step further and it was all about people exactly like me, That would be incredibly boring too, and I mean, when you're going to invest your life, like for a couple of years, intensively working on a project, it has to be, for me at least, it has to be like really creatively interesting and and inspiring. So there was sort of that intellectual thing, and then the pandemic happened, and then I started questioning all the assumptions and foundations of my entire life, and I feel like it was sort of like a two-tiered thing, right? Like there's a lot of self-reflection and contemplation and introspection built into midlife then add to the pandemic all the things that suddenly were shifting in our world in real time like I honestly feel like the first year of the pandemic in particular I have never learned as much during any other year of my life maybe the year I learned how to walk and talk when I was a toddler that might have been an important year too but other than that it was just like a year of transformation. So having these conversations with all of these fascinating women was life enhancing. Like it was such an untethered time those early months, right? And I just feel like these conversations kept me grounded in meaning and purpose and talking about the stuff I love talking about all the time. Like, you know, how do we build a better world together? What does that look like for you? What does it look like for me? And how do we hold on the best to the best parts of being human together? So that sounds all very philosophical. And I think it was much more, you know, practical in the conversation in the moment. But I just felt this warm sense of being connected across the miles. And the number of times I've replayed these women's stories in my head, I'll think to myself, Oh, yeah, Lori would have said this or so and so would have said that. Um, so I almost feel like it was being part of a, a virtual sisterhood during it, like a really transformative time in the culture. So I did bake bread like everybody else. But this is going to be the thing I carry out of the pandemic and always remember this time just by having spent so much time researching writing in this book.
1: It's unique because there are not a lot of books written specifically on and for women in midlife. There's a lack of information out there, and having read it myself, I feel like I can identify so much better with women in completely different life circumstances than myself. When did you realize that was happening as you were writing it?
0: Well, right from the get go, I challenged myself to, first of all, seek out women who were very different from myself, and then put out the call to sort of like everybody else I might naturally encounter through my day to day life. Because I realized that if I said, you know, I want to interview 50 women, I know 50 women plus, well, I know, like, 5000 women plus that are sort of a lot like me in my circles. Um, And I didn't want to just be in that echo chamber. So deliberately seeking people out who were maybe a friend of a friend or who I'd encountered in some way over the years was really important to me right from the get go. But then in terms of appreciating the level of challenge that some people um, deal with, as well as like the deliberate and conscious and amazingly wonderful Like life choices. Like, I'm thinking of the deliberateness of this one woman who talked about how midlife was going to be her time. And she basically is expanding her capabilities and her skill set so that she can really enjoy this particular chapter in her life. Like, I just loved that sort of mindful sense of purpose. And we all know, like, life has a sense of humor. You know, you can have this plan and life will lob all kinds of curveballs at you. But at least you have thought through it so that you're not just sort of sleepwalking through what can be a really incredible life stage. Like I honestly, I was not really a fan of childhood. I was always very impatient and wanting to get on with my life. I basically wanted to be an adult when I was a kid. And then of course, like the early hands on years of parenting, those are exhausting years. So then I started looking forward to what would it be like in my life when I had a little more time to myself. And then I arrived at midlife. And of course, I've had, you know, all kinds of challenges like everybody else has. But I really feel like I've come into my own, like I can look in the mirror every day and say, I like me. I don't care if my hair is standing on end or if it's like in Rosanna, Rosanna Dana mode because I'm like a, a big haired person. <laughs> um, I just, I feel good about being at this point in my life and, and um, also that sense of connection to other people. You know, like I think that's one of the things about midlife is you're really anchored by your relationship. So I'm lucky enough to have three sisters that I'm very close to and a really close cousin and a couple of really close friends. And just seeing that, and I should mention my husband too, I do kind of like him as well. (laughs) But just as we move forward through this (laughs) stage of our life, it's so important to sort of like pause and appreciate like the the relationships that anchor you And, and in particular, friendships with people who've known you for a long time and still keep being your friend. Those people are the best people. You and I
1: come from the same generation. We grew up in the 70s and 80s. And my mom worked, but my dad didn't want her to. And I didn't really understand the word feminist. I wouldn't consider myself a feminist. I didn't really understand feminism. And and now I'm understanding the privilege that I've enjoyed almost all my life because I'm white. And and coming to those realizations at this stage in our lives is so complicated. How do you feel about that?
0: Sometimes I feel embarrassed that I didn't understand until maybe the last five years or so what intersectional feminism even was and why it wasn't just enough to say, let's elect more women or let's, you know, let's create opportunities in the workplace for women as this generic category not realizing that it's not like there's one one-size-fits-all experience of of being a woman, right? And so beginning to unpack that, and a lot of it has been through my volunteer work. It's been really helpful to be in community with people in very different kinds of circumstances because I remember even like about a decade ago, a fellow I know who is on disability benefits pointed out that whenever we decided to have a community meeting for our volunteer work at a coffee shop, that was a financial hardship for him blew my mind, right? I had never thought of it that way. And even just thinking, like, over the course of the pandemic, as we saw, like, you know, racialized communities and women working in low income, sort of like care providing personal service work, things like the, the elevated levels of risk and illness and death, like it just it's not an even playing field. And I think the older I get, the more furious I become about injustice. Like I was that kid who used to cry when she was 12. And things were unfair, like I really wanted the world to be good all the way along. And I think that I had a strong sense of social justice all along the way. But I didn't have the analysis to understand how we all have to come together to sort of like to, you know, not be divided, to unify, to um, work for shared goals, but at the same time, We can't sort of like whitewash literally everybody's experience by pretending that everybody belongs to a very narrow demographic in in similar circumstances, because that's dishonest and it's really harmful to a lot of people. So I think at first I responded by feeling embarrassed, ashamed, guilty, really uncomfortable, afraid of saying or doing the wrong thing. And then this is where self-compassion for me really kicks in. Like I did the best I could with the knowledge I had at at the time. And I have the potential to continue to learn and grow and be challenged and, you know, regularly have my mind blown up by new ideas that might shake it all up again, right?
1: Yeah, I can really identify with that a lot. I can say that my complicity in the systems that benefited me because I am white, not realizing, being very embarrassed about that and ashamed. And as you say... OK, I'm listening, I'm learning, I am standing back and letting the people speak who haven't had a microphone or a book to, to speak. That's the least that I can do. I, I, I sit back and think, what else can I do? What else can I amplify? And you did a really great job of taking an intersectional approach of the women that you inter- interviewed.
0: Well, I benefited so much from learning that with some of the conversations I had with a woman who talked a lot about sort of like looking at disability through a lens of figuring out like the white supremacist roots of the pressure she was feeling to perform even while she was ill. And then I started thinking about even in the parenting world where i literally have spent decades the opportunity hoarding that happens right even with signing up for vaccinations or getting access to masks there's this network of privileged people who share resources and opportunities with one another and they're able to respond so quickly because if you were somebody working from home at a, like a professional job you could be hitting refresh on your page all day until you got like some kind of you know vaccination appointment for your family. But what about the people who have like a five minute break during the day and then they have to like hope that in that magic five minute window, they get a chance to call in like none of it is equitable. I alternate between feeling very loving and connected to all humanity and then feeling enraged. <laughs> So I guess I, I, one of the things I love about um, midlife is recognizing that you can hold all those emotions at the same time and that days when I am literally out for a walk stamping my feet because I am furious at the world that I don't think that little dark cloud will follow me forever the emotion will pass, but to really own the fact that there's a reason I'm feeling that level of rage or fear or whatever, and not feeling like I have to run through those emotions. Because I think one of the most toxic things about white supremacist sort of mainstream culture is the idea that as a woman, you have to be endlessly positive in a really gaslight yourself kind of way. And I'm just not willing to do that.
1: I think midlife gives you the opportunity to say I don't need to do that anymore. No one's telling me that I have to do that anymore. I can own every emotion and hold space for all of it. And there's so much liberty in that.
0: And we can do that for one another.
1: You are a rural entrepreneur. Now, what has that been like? How has that evolution happened? And do you like
0: it? Well, I chose very consciously to move up to this area. I live outside of Bancroft in a, in a beautiful sort of wooded lake area, right? After raising my family in Peterborough for, for decades, right? It was a conscious choice, but I don't think I recognized up front the extent of the isolation in the winter months, because even though during the summer, I am so ready when, you know, the we're living the beer commercial life, people pack up and go home. I, I really like the quiet, but then there's a point where it's like, I sort of miss people. I, I want to hear a little bit of chatter outdoors and in the background. And I think the other thing is, um, you always have to factor in things that are beyond your control. So like when we were doing our, tech test at the beginning there, like, will this be a good rural internet day? And I think sometimes I'm laughing because as I speak, it says here that your video will return when the internet connection improves. So somebody's rural internet is not happy as we talk about it, but it's the reality, right? So whenever I do live events, and I do a lot of live events from here, I always reassure the people that I have like a plan A and a plan B. And so you know, if the connection is bad, I can tether to my cell phone, and and so there's just all these layers of complication. And I think I feel sometimes very frustrated that there have been now decades worth of promises from all levels of government, that uh, there'll be, you know, robust, rural internet, and it never happens. Like every time there's an announcement, I just I almost laugh. And I don't like to be cynical, but it's very discouraging. So I think that we need we, we need our rural communities to be anchored on solid infrastructure in the way that urban people take for granted. And I think also there's sort of like this, this compromising quality of life for people who live in rural areas all the time, for the sake of chasing down a few transient tourist dollars that might not be that great in the big picture of things. So, so that may be more of a rural resident than rural entrepreneur perspective, but I feel like it's all intermeshed because I want to live and work in a healthy, thriving community. And so I feel like a strong sense of social responsibility to ensure that other people in this community are all able to do well. And this is not a great time for a lot of rural communities.
1: As a resident, how do you find it different from being in a city proper and then perhaps being in a village where, you know, it is markedly different.
0: There is a huge world of difference. Like when I think when I, when I lived in Peterborough, I was a couple of minutes away from the post office and the bank. So there weren't sort of like, you know, geographical challenges every time I need to do anything, And also, just you have like a chamber of commerce that's quite active in a place like Peterborough, and you have, you know, business associations, and there are just so many different ways to interact with people. Up here, you have to be much more conscious and deliberate about forming your relationships. And it's not always easy because, you know, there's a snowstorm or a road is closed or all kinds of sort of like geographical elements kick in in a way. And I think also that because of the way our electoral system is structured, rural Canada gets taken for granted a lot of the time and politicians don't have to work as hard to meet the needs of rural voters, especially in ridings that a person in a particular party can take for granted and has forever. Like, you know, they're still going to vote for me because they always vote this way. So I think that there are a lot of structural things that that prevent rural Canada from getting um, the support and in an equitable way, like in in the same way that rural or that urban residents take for granted. And I sometimes feel frustrated by that. And I have a lot of conversations with politicians at all kinds of different levels of government just saying, like, you know, why should getting mental health treatment in this area be so much harder? And I think it's everything. And the flip side of that, of course, is that you get to live in a beautiful, natural area. So I sort of have to balance off those two things. Like I want rural Canada to be treated with the respect it deserves and to have that sort of multi-level of government kind of investment that other places take for granted. And I also want to preserve the quality of life up here, which some of it is really good. I mean, people who live in rural areas choose to do so, I think, often for a lot of lifestyle reasons.
1: Did you find a difference in the women that you interviewed for your book? Some that lived rural and some that lived urban? Was there a difference in their experience?
0: There was this one woman who talked about what her daily life is like. And she talked about how she has to literally chop wood and feed it into the like the fire in order to keep her house warm. And, you know, I think she has like, Animals she tends, and like just different layers of things that you don't even have to think about in urban areas. So, there's definitely that element and also just not coming into the same orbit with your neighbors as often and stuff so you can feel a little more isolated. I know there's been a lot of research over the years of, about like, you know, the vulnerable of women, the vulnerability of women living in rural communities and how if it's a, you know, a domestic violence situation, it can be harder to tap into and find support. So I think that there is that part as well that you can you can feel really isolated alone in the woods kind of feeling.
1: And I think women in midlife already feel start to feel invisible and so when you live in a small community there's othering of of women after a certain age that the expectation perhaps in the community is to be baking things or you know for community events or hosting things or So many stereotypes, I would say, in specifically a rural community where perhaps people don't have as much exposure to the differences.
0: And there's such a need for those volunteer supports in the absence of a lot of like institutional or government support, right? So if somebody has a house fire, it's the neighbors who have to do a fundraiser for them or help them to rebuild some of their house or whatever, in a way that I think like it's not, it's not optional or a frill. It's like, it's an all hands on deck moment.
1: You've written a lot of books, as you mentioned, about parenting. Have your children had a chance to look at your book? And if so, what do they think?
0: They haven't had a chance to read the midlife one yet because the copies only went in the mail to them last week. Um, But I remember back when uh, one of my earlier books came out, my Parenting Through the Storm book, I remember my son, um, Eric, cracking open a copy and then posting on Facebook how he was really enjoying this new book I'd written, there was this amazing character named Eric in the book, who he was super impressed by. So my kids have a pretty good sense of humor about things like this. And they also trust me to sort of find that sweet spot between saying nothing meaningful and like sp- spilling all the family secrets right because as their mother i am privy to a lot of knowledge that's not for public consumption so i've always tried to think how can i take the essence of an experience and you know build commonality or that sense of empathy with other families without being too revealing right it's like a fine line thing so i'll be interested to see what they you know have to say about about the midlife book because my kids are now in their mid 20s through their mid 30s so some of them are only a few years away from midlife and it must be kind of weird to have a mother writing about a life stage that you're about to, you know, at least approach or see in the distance.
1: What's your advice to women approaching that age? I mean, having spoken to so many women and you did a, a like a huge amount of research as well. There's a lot of great nuggets from experts and other authors. What's your advice to women that are approaching this stage in their life?
0: I think to like really filter a lot of those cultural messages, because there's so many messages about approaching midlife with a sense of dread. And I hear a lot of fear from women like that came through in a lot of the conversations. And even specifically with the issue of menopause, I think there's a lot of terror around that. And yet, if you interview people who are on the other side of that life stage, only 5% of women will say that menopause was like a really disruptive force in their life. So I think that Lose the doom and gloom narrative and also lose the narrative that says like midlife is magical. It is your time. It is to be all things to yourself, because unless you're independently wealthy and you're living a charmed life, it's not going to be perfect. And I think even if you have all those things in your favor, when is life ever perfect? Why would it be perfect suddenly at midlife? So I think the great thing about getting to midlife is that you've You've learned some coping skills along the way. So like, particularly during the pandemic, there were some days that I would be reading the news and I would think like, I don't even know how we go on. Like, I just don't even know what we do at this point. And then saying, yeah, but you've been through really tough and scary and stressful things before and being able to put it in context. I think that is incredibly helpful and something that comes from life experience and also connecting with like the experiences of generations past i'm just in the process of reading a memoir of a woman who was born at the beginning of the previous century and she was writing around 1950 ish and talking about how everybody was terrified about the way that the like the post world war ii world was coming together and there was a lot of worry about like what was the, you know, the impact of the nuclear bomb and everything? And I mean, when we think about the 1950s, the way the culture portrays it, it was just like this lovely euphoric time when everybody was carefree. So I, it'll be interesting if we get to live long enough to look at how will the pandemic years be portrayed in culture? Like, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a few jokes about the sourdough bread because and the toilet paper hoarding because that was a cultural moment. But What will will the emotional history of this time be? That's what I find really fascinating.
1: Well, you mentioned memoir and, and that you were reading one. Do you have a memoir yet to write, do you think?
0: I think I much prefer sort of like passing the microphone around and hearing so many other women's stories. Because like you say, for this book, um, I I calculated the other day because I had to mail all these parcels, but it was close to 120 women that I interviewed for the book. And I read 100 books. And I read 1000 journal articles. So I sort of like synthesized all this information and filtered it through my head. And then I was able to distill it into something that I think is a lot of information and insights in a small package. Whereas if I look at my own life experience, I honestly don't think I have like 80,000 words worth of thrilling things to say. So I'm actually going off in a slightly different direction with my writing. I was accepted into this year-long novel-in-a-year program where I get to devote myself like in a really concentrated way to trying to teach myself how to write a novel. And it's something I've always wanted to have always wanted to do. And I've sort of been like plugging away at it in a very part-time tentative way for a couple of years. But now I feel like this is the time to give it a shot. And if nothing else, it's like a creatively joyous process, learning a new skill. So I think that a lot of the things that i am thinking about that maybe some people might ex- like explore through memoir i think i'm going to like weave into my fiction because that's just the way our brains work right like you suddenly start seeing all these connections and possibilities and even if i wanted to not have like, you know, slightly utopian dreams for the future, I could never suppress that in my writing, like it's going to pop out on the page, you're going to look down, and it's like, oh, she's going on about community and interconnectedness again, she cannot help herself. No, she cannot.
1: I'm a huge fan. And I have been for a very long time. Thank you so much for sharing time with me today. Where can folks get the book at their favorite independent bookstores? Where can they get it?
0: Yeah, I would say start out with your favorite independent bookstore, because we need them to have a thriving writing culture here in Canada. And other than that, you know, the usual online suspects, if you go to the publisher's website, there's a find a copy of the book button, but or go to my website, and Douglas.ca. Uh, and hopefully, that could be your launching pad to finding a copy of the book. And if you read it, write to me. I love hearing from readers and I love to hear what people thought or, you know, maybe how they had conversations with their friends about the ideas in the book. Because my biggest dream for this book is that it'll be the kind of book where you read it and you say to your best friend, you know what, we need to get together and talk about this book and explore some of the ideas together. And then it can be like almost like a a virtual consciousness raising group (laughs) across the country of women at midlife talking to and connecting with other women.
1: I can certainly say that I'm going to be doing that with my friends. So you're going to have at least one, one little book club in rural Canada. (laughs) Thank you again.
0: That's great to hear. Thank you, Shauna.
1: Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga, or neutral peoples, who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are... Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Munsee, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until
0: next time...